Hey, what's up, Butlicks? Dr. Drill with the Making Motivation Podcast. Well, 16 November 2020. Good day back from the uh, a three-day hiatus last week, the toilet week. We got a good rebound. We've instituted some uh, policies around the office that protect us a little bit more. You know, and to include, I've got this stand-up fucking temperature sensor. So you walk, you walk up to it. It's in our waiting room, which is not going to have anybody sitting in it for the foreseeable future. Nobody's going to be hanging out in there. We've never been in a particularly high-volume place anyway. You know, maybe a couple people out there sitting around, but the office is kind of like, best-case scenario is one person in, one person out. So, we have this standing uh, temperature sensor. I've got it perched atop a piece of cedar uh, that I put some, wheels on the bottom of it, so it's kind of like a little footstool, and the tripod extends up, you can pick it up or drop it down, worst case scenario, you got to stoop over a little bit, and put your forehead to the sensor, just hover there for a moment, and then it, it says, passed, and it tells you, it indicates that you, your temperature is within the parameters of normal. So that's good because we don't want anybody coming in the office with a fever or with some sort of cold flu-like symptoms in the time of coronavirus. It sucks that we're living in this, through this, you know. It really does. But we got to do what we got to do. And it's been a welcome addition. I think it gives people the peace of mind of knowing that they are currently at a place of homeostasis. In other words, they've got a, a good even keel. <clears throat> temperature regulation wise. And they're not an active carrier of any sort of... Or no infectious process, no inflammatory process. That's overwhelming their system. And therefore, they're not going to be contagious. Less likely to anyway. So, we should have had this in the past, but it's uh, the sort of thing where I feel like um, there has been doubt cast upon whether or not, first of all, it is completely accurate. Just because somebody doesn't have a temperature does not mean that they're not carrying an infectious disease. In particular, viral disease processes, they are, um, you're often afebrile. So, They're not like a bacterial infection or anything like that where you're always going to be running a fever. So, but I think it's an, it's a, it's, it's an objective finding to test the temperature. It's appropriate and it would have saved us at least one exposure. A patient came in a couple weeks ago that had been sick and should have stayed home. Um... It's also symbolic. You, you, nobody's just coming in the office 
as they damn well please. All right, you, 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 we have to be safe. We've got people that are old, and some folks are immune compromised, and we just don't want to pass this thing around. So we got the temp sensor. We also have um, topped off all of, all of our hand sanitizer hand sanitizers. <clears throat> and we've discontinued use of the magic carpet, which is a really luxurious area in the back room where we would place people on heat and electrics, uh, uh, this vibratory mat for 10 minutes. And it would just be a good place for you to, you know, get a nice little uh, scene that we hang back there, a beach scene or a, a forest scene that people can just kind of zone out and forget their problems. So it was a very important part of our business, but now folks are just going to have to spend the entire duration of the half-hour slot with me. And so during that time, we can I can adjust you, <clears throat> I can stretch you, I can massage you, I can teach you stretches and otherwise entertain you, fix you up, provide the... Uh, all the services that you know we can that are unique to healthy balance and so I'm proud of that I'm proud of having made it through this day it was a pretty busy day and we made it through unscathed and everybody understands and appreciates the extra steps that we're taking in order to keep everyone safe <clears throat> so I'd say it's mission accomplished that's awesome now I'd like to shift gears and talk a little bit about conversation I had uh, with some friends, with some patients, with a co-worker about work ethic <clears throat> and the first jobs that we all have and the reality that it doesn't matter what you do. Let's say you have created, you, you, you succeeded in finding something that you love and making that your job, which I have done several times my life. I don't know a lot of other people who have. All right? People say they love their jobs. I actually do. <clears throat> Worked hard to be a doctor of chiropractic. I built my business from nothing. And I love interacting with people. I love helping them. I love educating them. I love being there for them. <clears throat> and I love getting paid to do all that. I decided that I would use my skill set as, as a former Marine and my doctor uh, status, my education, as to, to create this Dr. Drill entity, which is the whole impetus, you know, behind this podcast. All right, so Dr. Drill. I created that for 15 years. I ran the most popular exercise program in Montgomery County, Philly Fit's hottest workout, three years in a row transformed many lives and people will remember that work that I did in DDIP or the Dr. Drill Instructor Program they'll remember the impact we made, we made forever really changed some lives so I love to do that right. I also love to carve wood today I sold a little cedar Christmas tree that I carved with a chainsaw and, a, and an angle grinder with a sanding pad on it 20 bucks, something I made a piece of art 
something that I find beautiful and enjoyable, and I made it, and I sold it, the only one I brought in today. So I call that success. I call that doing something, doing the things that I love to do, and earning a living at it. I'll tell you, though, that all three of those things that I mentioned, there are parts of those jobs that absolutely suck. So I'm reflecting upon my first jobs coming up. My first job, paper boy. Fucking <clears throat> delivering the Asbury Park Press, Park Press and the Forked River or the Lacey Beacon. I delivered all those things. Remember the papers, dro- stacks of papers, uh, bundles of them dropped off on my doorstep or in my driveway. On the morning of, and I would have to wake up and put all these papers together, the various sections, or fold them up. I can vividly remember the smell of those papers and the texture of the papers and the ink that it would leave on your fingertips. And you would fold them and assemble them and put them in your bag. And I started out riding my bike around delivering papers, and I just couldn't do it. <clears throat> my mother wound up driving me around in her Jeep and I would run out and deliver the papers and it was an exercise in work ethic God, my mother I love her so dearly she's such a pain, pain in the ass sometimes but she really <clears throat> she really held the, held the flag for um, and drove the point home about work ethic she had me doing that as when I was in the single digits delivering papers. Then I was a dishwasher at a local Italian restaurant. Great job. All right. Dirty, filthy, wet job. That had its perks. I got to eat pasta. I would shock the pasta and take a little bit out and eat it or these little roasted potatoes that were part of the entree. A little accompaniment. I would scarf them down every once in a while take a little swig of wine uh, go out by the dumpster and smoke cigarettes and whatever you're treated like a freaking slave in those jobs but I remember it I got my first girlfriend real girlfriend she was uh, she was um, a bus girl and we fell in love I used to watch her squat down and put bread into the oven and look at her little tight little ass and we fell in love and <clears throat> the rest was history that lasted for a few years um, I was a bartender I was a bouncer on the Seaside Heights boardwalk I was a well driller right. there's a phrase cold as a well dr- driller's ass because it's a dirty, wet, filthy job but you get to pull up in your work truck with all your gear in your car hearts and Wawa get your 40 ounce coffee and a buttered roll or cream cheese bagel and fucking see all the other hard working people mixed with the business types and their suits and their pants suits and their skirts and their all that shit early in the morning everybody getting ready to go out and work um, what else I was a security guard I was a waiter, you know, so I did a lot of things, 
and I appreciate all the hard work that went these things. I appreciate the people that I worked for teaching me, and I fucked up sometimes. Um, you're young, you're working hard, there's other people with you working hard, you whatever, you get together, you get into a little bit of trouble, you make some mistakes, hopefully not too big, but I, I was glad to work in those formidable years doing these hard jobs that nobody else really wanted. Uh, they were important, you know, and I'm going to extrapolate this now to the documentary that I've been watching, which is um, the Ken Burns documentary on America. I've been watching a segment a night. <clears throat> We've gotten through the pilgrims arriving and friggin' taking a dump all over the east coast of this pop, uh, this country, populating it, shitting on the Indians, trading with them. Uh, Lewis and Clark finding their way up through the Louisiana territories, uh, marching out to the sea, giving up for dead. Jedediah Smith um, out there trapping uh, and, and making furs and or um, killing animals for their furs and selling them. The people make hats and coats and shit out of. Uh, explorers, people um, blazing trails, searching for gold, searching for resources, uh, mining the grounds, discovering oil, you know, doing hard work, uh, working, farming so much, cutting down. Do you know that the Midwest, part of the reason why it's so barren and, and brown and dry and almost desertified <clears throat> east of the Rockies is that that was all farmland. So where Abraham Lincoln in this documentary series, where Abraham Lincoln settled in Illinois, I believe it was, everybody got five acres and a house. And so people would farm on their land and they'd grow shit and they'd raise wild uh, livestock and they'd bring it to market and do all this stuff. You know, sell all of their wares and so on and so forth. <clears throat> they congregated in the cities, then they went out to the suburbs, they built homes, they farmed land, they raised their livestock and their families there. And they show how when everybody had their five acres and with a cabin on it, like Abraham Lincoln started out doing, before you know it, all that farmland... They tilled the ground so many times and they uprooted trees, cut down trees and vegetation that there was nothing left to hold. Talk about erosion, wind, rain. There was nothing left to hold that precious topsoil, that fertile ground in place. And so the Dust Bowl, you ever heard of that? Remember that or remember the movie or the book, The Grapes of Wrath and talking about this, the Midwest and how there are all those dust storms in the 20s or whatever, whenever the hell that was. Well, they show these dust storms that were like fucking hurricane or something coming, like something you'd see out of a movie or you'd expect in a, in a real desert, you know, like the Mojave or the Sahara or <clears throat> something like that. And apparently the sky would blacken and it would come in and it would fuck your lungs up and you have to stay in your house for weeks. These dust storms would be flying all over the place as 
the weather systems would collide and you know so this actual the earth the topsoil was up in the atmosphere floating around blowing around and, and just destroying everything so this happened a lot man did that you know we created that by inhabiting this this uh, country and so <clears throat> this documentary is tremendous in its illustration of history things that we learned but we the details of which we never completely learned or just weren't ready to absorb all this or fully understand it like the again the the uh, landing on the shores and the separation of England and no taxation without representation and the you know the then the the revolutionary war and the civil war and <clears throat> world war 2 and all the um, the people who we we put our technology to work you know the invention of uh, the automobile, the internal combustion engine, and and the uh, manufacturing prowess that we had in this nation, and that we could still have, but we gave up. We shopped out to for cheap labor purposes um, to other countries that are now having their comeuppance, their industrial revolutions in the third world. Um, the ingenuity that we had. You know, Thomas Edison and the light bulb, Nikola Tesla, um, scientific uh, discoveries as a result of uh, World War II, uh, things like uh, blood donations, plasma donations, the invention of the anti, the discovery of the antibiotic, and the, um, the mass production of things like antibiotics and morphine and so on and so forth. All of these different innovations that the men were out to war and the women were uh, the Rosie, Rosie the Riveter types <clears throat> were holed up in these factories making shit. You know, that sort of ingenuity, that kind of inventing, invention and work ethic, that is to me. <clears throat> some of the things that I think about when we think about, we talk about uh, the things that we, our first jobs and the economy and, and, and really what it takes to, um, to thrive, you know, and the, the, the things that serve as catalysts for our change, like putting man on the moon, the space program, uh, wars and creating machines, people building tanks and uh, scientific inventions and, you know, uh, the, the locomotive. I didn't know or I forgot that what, what enabled the, um, the Confederacy to win the war was that Lincoln had you know, embraced the railroad and had, had grown its capabilities and put all these tracks down and connected everything and so he could have what would used to take wagon trains and vehicles or whatever would take <clears throat> weeks to resupply he'd have that shit down there in a few days you know be a, be a train drop off supplies drop off ammunition troops and he could move people and equipment everywhere 
So that is truly extraordinary to think about the logistics and how, how things like the locomotive or the automobile enabled us to literally get to our destination more quickly and get our, our supplies here, there, and everywhere. Like, you think about, then you think about air travel. We haven't even, you know, we didn't talk about the Wright brothers yet in the documentary that I remember, but they're talking about, you know, things like B, uh, not B-52s, but whatever those, the major abundant bombers, the likes of which dropped, um, like the Enola Gay that dropped the, the bombs on uh, Nagasaki and Hiroshima, shit like that, like flight, you know, transportation, getting us information and gear and personnel to places more quickly, and how all that is accelerated, um, you think about, if you if you watch a show like this and you're not just enamored, um, sorry dude, wowed, if you're not impressed by <clears throat> the exponential growth of our nation and the world over the last 500 years, I mean, you're fucking asleep at the wheel, my friend. This is nuts. It's nuts. And yet we seem like, even though we're so advanced... As I drive down this sleepy country road here and I look at things, I still see remnants of, you know, society. Like decades ago, things that I grew up around and I, uh, you know, houses, their construction and mailboxes and signs and telephone poles. And, um, it's amazing. It's amazing how far we've come and it's amazing how far we have yet to go. We really have, um, we can't get too, uh, we can't become too confident in where we're at. Like we have to respect history and we have to be able to have learned from our experiences. Learn from history and understand things. That is, I think, the tragic um, concern of mine, is that there are some lessons that we we should have learned many times over, and hopefully we don't have to make those mistakes and, and learn that hard lesson again. Because that would be a shame, right? Like war, you know, like famine, like... Um, taking Mother Earth for all of her resources. Water, clean water, timber, the atmosphere, topsoil, you know, fossil fuels. We are getting to the point now where we have been such an effective um, plunderer. We've taken everything we've ever wanted from the Earth. And that this ecosystem system it's ours to squander you know, I think we really need to be smart about how we proceed and you know just coming full circle and talking about the jobs that I had and the jobs that exist out there um, 
I think now is a great time, despite this fucked up pandemic, it's a great time to innovate and to uh, think of the future and to really take this time to pause and figure out where we want to go. You know, when I think of my kids and the work that they're going to do and and their role in society and their families, hopefully, in the future, and what what kind of world we're leaving for them and we're building for them. I want them to know, you know, that I want them to receive the same similar messages from that my parents taught me, like the value of hard work, you know, and um, like that Navy SEAL Admiral McRaven wrote a book about why everyone should know how to make their bed. Like, or I talk about the value of being a Marine and all the by-the-numbers stuff. You know, everybody gets a footlocker and two sea bags and you fill it with this stuff. And this is how you should have parameters for shaving your face. And this is how short your hair needs to be. And this is how clean your body needs to be. And your weapon is got to be clean as well and fully functioning. Otherwise... It could let you down, and you could lose. Uh, you, know, you could die because you're not prepared, and you, you know you don't have a clean weapon. And also, your buddies could die, and the mission will not be accomplished. So, there's a pro- we've learned some things. I'm not saying like we all need to go to Marine Corps boot camp, but some kind of rules of the road. Like we are definitely a sh- we've gone astray. We are complacent. The value of hard work is somewhat lost since we've gone inside um, both with the electronic, the industrial revolution and especially the digital revolution where we just we have we're in front of our computers and on our phones all day long. So we don't have uh, we're not outside raking leaves. just the, the work is different. It's not dirty. It's not raw. It's not basic. It is now like, you know, you're going to, I mean, there's still some of that and there always will be a percentage of the work that we do that will, uh, recall our past, like, you know, lifting things, carrying things, cleaning things, but we are so very far removed from the origin of, of materials, like where things come from. And what it really takes to produce, for instance, a meal in a nursing home for elderly people, or to take care of somebody, as you know, um, make sure that the, you know, somebody who's elderly and uh, you work in a nursing home, you're changing linens and wiping butts and uh, making sure they're taking their medications as properly, and this make sure that they're. You know, their food is hot and not full of bacteria and, or <clears throat> how to build something, you know, how to take something apart and put it back together again. We are pretty far from a lot of these things and I'm concerned that the youth of today is not going to have these foundational things and we don't, furthermore, it's tough in our society, we don't really have the time to devote so much um, to doing some of these things. I mean, I talked to a young man this evening who's 16, maybe 17, and 
he has a job at um, a hardware store, True Value or fucking whatever. And he's telling me how he loves it, and there's so much that he's learned. He didn't know the different all the different types of screws or uh, nails or plumbing stuff or <clears throat> whatever light bulbs. Before you before you learn this shit, and you actually have to understand it, you just don't. You have no idea. You have no idea. So working at a hardware store, it's like something from back in the day, you know, like where, okay, you go to the hardware store in your old Wild West town, and, okay, I want uh, three sacks of flour, I need, uh, you know, uh, this much, a a keg of uh, rum, I need some sugar, I need some hay, five bales of hay for my horses, like, you understand what it takes, at that point, you understand what it takes to actually run a farm. Or, you know, feed your livestock. And that shit is... We're just very far away from all that right now, I feel. So we all could use um, a little trip back in time. If only in the form of a, you know, watching a documentary like this. And, you know... All the things that I have spoken about, all the hard work and innovation and trailblazing that people have done, you appreciate it then. Because you can look back and say, oh, even though I didn't have to, thank God I didn't have to live like this. Like there was one scene where a guy, he was like a, because he came back out of the Civil War and he, um, they hired him. They put him to work in New York City because there was just piles of shit everywhere. Animal shit, human shit, piles of it. Junk, garbage, and just fucking turds everywhere. And there are rats running around in this filth, and there's disease. And he had people in white outfits pushing brooms, getting on a line, pushing down the fucking alleys, pushing all this shit out. Recycling things, burning stuff, um, and and cleaning up the streets. Literally cleaning up the streets. With a bunch of people online with fucking brooms pushing piles of shit. Like freaking soldiers marching. They were pushing turds down streets. A dirty job, but somebody's got to do it. He did it. I mean, to know that. That, that just that, that just to see that, that this is what our cities look like. This is what civilization looks like. When there's so many people congregating in a particular area that starts out large, but then you get more people coming over, more people and different folks coming in, and poverty and famine and turds, and now you got somebody who's fixing all this. That is freaking impressive that somebody did that, that somebody had the will and the innovation to do that work. And I wish that we, I think we all would be wise to revisit that sort of thing. I'm glad I'm not pushing a a broom, a bunch of turds with brooms, but what a lesson, what a teachable moment to see, for our kids to see and us to be reminded of what it's like to build a civilization 
and the problems that arise as a result of our thriving and not have to play those, learn those same mistakes over, you know? So pretty interesting conversation. Obviously I'm riled up about it. It's eight o'clock at night. I'm tired, but, uh, I'm interested in what you might have to say about that. And I encourage you to watch these documentaries by, uh, Ken Burns. This guy is fucking meticulous. He's interesting. It spares no, I'll tell you what, it's raw shit, literally in some cases. I mean, there are um, scenes, battles and bloated bodies lying in the on the freaking battlegrounds and, you know, so many dead from the Civil War, more than any other um, conflict. The Civil War, we killed each other piles of dead people, you know, fucking crazy, stupid, hard lesson to learn. Hope we don't have to learn that again. But I mean, so there's some scenes are definitely no holds barred, but that's, that's what life has been like on this planet, trying to tame this beast. And we fucked a lot up. We've done a lot of incredible things. As I look around I'm parked in my driveway here. I look around at all the houses aglow and the see TVs running in some and the electricity and the construction. Everything's made of wood and plastic and a light with electronics and a car in every driveway, sometimes two or three. State-of-the-art machinery. And I look up in the sky and I still see there's very little light pollution up here on the ridge. And I see fucking just the, the sky ablaze with stars. Told you I look for uh, Mars every night. I can track its movement or Orion's belt or the Little Dipper, Big Dipper, Cassiopeia. I got to get a friggin' pair of binoculars or a better um, telescope. But my point is, and I, I, um, I'll read this to you before I go here, because I think it's tremendous. So here we go. Who are you? You are one person out of seven billion people residing on one planet out of eight planets, orbiting one star, out of 300 billion stars in one galaxy out of 200 billion to 3,000 trillion galaxies in one universe, out of 1 to 100th power universes in a multiverse. One more time. You're one person out of 7 billion people on this planet. There are 8 planets in our solar system that, that orbit one star, our sun. And there are 300 billion stars in the sky. In our, just in our galaxy. And there are 200 billion to 3,000 trillion galaxies. Uncountable, basically, galaxies. And so the exponential organization here. If we could zoom out from sitting in my freaking Dodge Ram 1500 
5.7 liter hemispheric engine, black Betty, dual exhaust pipe, club cab, and then zoom out to all this freaking civilization that we have built. And what? And look at ourselves. Look at this, this blue, pale blue dot uh, suspended on a sunbeam. We'd be surrounded by countless other stars that have planets orbiting them. It's fucking nuts. How amazing is that? Hopefully you can imagine the possibilities and the responsibility that we have to run a tighter ship. Huh! <laughs>